Good morning. Scott Luton here with you on this edition of This Week in Business History. Welcome to today's show. On this program, which is part of the Supply Chain Now family of programming, we take a look back at the upcoming week, and then we share some of the most relevant events and milestones from years past. Of course, mostly business-focused, with a little dab of global supply chain, and occasionally, we might just throw in a good story outside of our primary realm. So I invite you to join me on this look back in history to identify some of the most significant leaders, companies, innovations, and perhaps lessons learned in our collective business journey. Now, let's dive in to this week in business history. Hello and thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Scott Luton, and today on this edition of This Week in Business History, we're focused on the week of December 21st. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the show. Before we get started, I want to share a highlight of mine here in recent days. So I served for about four years on active duty with the United States Air Force. For two of those years, I was stationed in Wichita, Kansas, home to McConnell Air Force Base. Wichita, by the way, is a wonderful town to live and work in. Back in 1929, the Aeronautical Chamber of Commerce called Wichita the air capital of the world. The aviation industry has long had roots in the city, partially because of how nice and flat the area is. It naturally became home to many airfields and aviation pioneers for sure. Cessna, which is now part of Textron, was founded in Wichita. Beechcraft, which is also now part of Textron, was also founded in Wichita. Boeing, Learjet, Airbus, all with a presence in Wichita, Kansas. So back to my personal highlight. This past week, I was able to reconnect with two of my fellow airmen that I served at McConnell Air Force Base with, Troy Boozer and Bruce Gillen, AKA Booz and Gilbo. These two leaders were incredible friends, advisors, and mentors to me, really in their own kind of way. And I'll always be grateful for the role they played in my own personal journey being able to reconnect with these incredible people after years and years and to laugh and share stories over the course of a couple of hours, well, that was an early Christmas present for me. Folks, you got to hug on those that have your back and that are in your corner. I'm very thankful for one, Troy Boozer and Bruce Gillen. Okay, so back to this week in business history. Today, we're going to dive into the story of the first woman to serve as CEO of a major automaker. We're going to share the story of one Mary Barra, chairman and CEO of General Motors. So stay tuned and thanks again for joining us here on This Week in Business History, powered by our team here at Supply Chain Now. Mary Barra was born on December 24, 1961 in Royal Oak, Michigan. Born into a family of Finnish descent, her grandfather had moved to the U.S. and settled in Mountain Iron, Minnesota decades earlier. Mary's father, Ray, worked for 39 years as a tool and die maker at the Pontiac Car Factory in Detroit. Having worked in the metal stamping industry, I can tell you that a tool and die maker is a trade and craft that requires extraordinary skill, and it's a tough, demanding job as well. I bet Ray and Mary have had a ton of intriguing discussions through the years. Mary Barr would go on to attend and graduate from what was then called General Motors Institute of Technology. It is located in Flint, Michigan and has since been renamed 
the Kettering University. Once referred to as the West Point of the automobile industry, the school was renamed in 1998 to honor legendary inventor and GM executive Charles Kettering. You've probably heard of Kettering, as he really made his mark as head of research at General Motors. One of his quotes that I've long appreciated is focused on effective problem solving, where so many folks don't truly understand where the challenge or root cause lies. Kettering stated, quote, a problem well stated is a problem half solved, end quote. Mary Barra graduated in 1985, earning a Bachelor of Science in Electrical Engineering. But how does she pay for her education, you might ask? Well, at the age of 18, Barra began working for General Motors as a co-op. Her job was focused on quality, checking fender panels and hoods. Much of her work was focused on the Pontiac Grand Prix. Barra has stated in recent interviews that, quote, it was not a good time for GM quality, end quote, there in the early 1980s. And she'd run into a wide variety of defects. But she would continue her formal education using a General Motors fellowship to attend Stanford's Graduate School of Business. Upon graduation from Stanford, General Motors promoted her to serve as plant manager of the Detroit Hamtramck plant, also known as Factory Zero. It's an historic plant that was built on the original Dodge factory. Currently, it serves as GM's all-electric vehicle assembly plant. In her role as plant manager, Barra would continue to demonstrate her exceptional ability to lead, get results, and effectively engage her teams, driving improvement and innovation. As a result, GM would continue to promote Mary Barra into new roles. In 2008, she became Vice President of Global Manufacturing Engineering. In 2009, Mary Barra would become Vice President of Global Human Resources. This would be one of her favorite leadership roles, as she was quoted as saying, I love that time because you're dealing with people. Sometimes people do the craziest things. You see everything in HR, but you also see the goodness of people and how to really help them achieve their goals, end quote. During this point in time, as Barra led HR for GM, the company was emerging from its financial restructuring. Barra would say that the timing afforded leadership the opportunity to, quote, really define the culture that we wanted, end quote. One of her most notable actions was to take the General Motors 10-page dress code policy, 10 pages at the time, and trim it down to just two words, dress appropriately. Hey, how about that for empowering and entrusting your workforce? But also, it was about getting managers to own that policy and give them the responsibility of making adjustments for their own teams. Mary Barra would say, quote, if managers can't handle dress appropriately, what other judgments and decisions can't they handle, end quote. In a separate interview about the dress code decision, which stirred somewhat of a controversy amongst management at General Motors, Mary Barra would say, quote, it really became a window into the change that we needed to make at General Motors. I can trust you with $10 million of budget and supervising 20 people, but I can't trust you to dress appropriately. It was kind of a step in empowering. So this really encouraged people to step up, end quote. In February 2011, she would become Executive Vice President of Global Product Development. 
In this role, Barra would have a significant impact on the design and quality of the vehicles that GM produced. And Mary Barra had a knack for leading with simplicity. As head of global product development, she challenged her teams with a simple motto, no more crappy cars. In an interview with Fortune magazine, Mary Barra expounded on this philosophy, saying that management placed too many boundaries on their workforce at GM. She would say, quote, so now we're saying no excuses. If it's budget, if it's resources, we have to do great cars, trucks, and crossovers, and it's our job to en enable you to do that, end quote. Mary Barr was so successful in this product development leadership role that in August 2013, global purchasing and supply chain was added to her responsibility. On January 15, 2014, Mary Barra was named CEO of General Motors, becoming the first female leader of a major automotive company. Fortune magazine would say, quote, no woman on earth runs a bigger company in revenue terms than Barra, end quote. But instantly, her leadership ability would be tested by crisis. A long-standing issue and ignition switch defect was identified as causing 13 deaths. In fact, it'd later be identified as causing over 100 deaths. Action had to be taken immediately. Instantly, Mary Barra created a small team that was to meet every single day to guide the company's response and corrective actions in a largely transparent and successful manner. Millions of GM cars were recalled. Several company leaders were fired, and GM paid $900 million in government fines and Mary Barra found herself testifying in front of Congress. By hiring their CEO from within though, meaning tapping a leader with intimate knowledge of the inner workings of the company and its various functions, General Motors was able to lean on Mary Barra's experience and unique understanding, which was critical to navigating the crisis effectively. In what some saw as a reward for steady leadership through the ignition switch crisis, Mary Barra was named chairman of the GM Board of Directors on January 4, 2016. As chairman and CEO of General Motors, Barra continued to deploy simplicity in communicating a sense of mission to the over 160,000 employees around the world. It comes in the form of the company motto, Zero Crashes, Zero Emissions. One other motto and behavior that GM has put in place under Mary Barra is, Innovate Now. It's meant to encourage their workforce not to see how things currently are, but rather see things as they should be, focusing on the future state and how to get there. Mary Barra shared a few other key principles of her approach to leadership in a 2019 conference hosted by Wharton. A few of them were, one, always ask for feedback from your team. In meetings, use a simple question, hey, what's your opinion? Two, as you are looking to drive sustainable change, Keep in mind that the benefits of the change must be greater than the effort required. It was a key lesson that Barra learned as an engineer early in her career. And three, win your people's hearts and minds. Barra has pointed to a critical experience earlier in her career working for a leader that really focused on developing a genuine bond with their team on a couple of levels. Barra stated that this is key to empowering your team, and surpassing expectations. What lies ahead for Mary Barra and General Motors? 
a big part of the path forward is the ramp up and development of electric vehicles. In November 2020, GM announced the hiring of 3,000 employees across the fields of engineering, design, and IT with a key objective in mind. As stated by Ken Morris with GM, quote, we're accelerating toward our EV future. This will help us move faster, end quote. The company had previously announced a goal to develop 20 electric models by 2023. Additionally, Mary Barra sees an opportunity to reduce the 40,000 annual deaths per year that occur in traffic accidents in the U.S. Data points to 90% of these accidents are due to human error. Barra sees a broader application of autonomous driving, which can address and cut into these losses significantly. Beyond electric cars and autonomous driving technology, Barra sees GM and its workforce striving to make riding in cars safer and making it cleaner for the environment. Hey, stay tuned as we'll be watching for what's next for Mary Barra and General Motors. And one other connected story on this episode of This Week in Business History. Amongst other roles, Mary Barra serves on the board of directors for the Walt Disney Company. So on a related note, on December 21st, 1937, Walt Disney's first color and sound feature-length animated film, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, had its world premiere in Hollywood's Golden Age Movie Palace, the Carthay Circle Theater in Los Angeles. Snow White is generally considered Walt Disney's most significant achievement. Although he had been in business since 1923, he had primarily produced short cartoons such as Mickey Mouse and The Three Little Pigs. Visionary Walt Disney since the early 1930s had wanted to expand his repertoire from short subjects to feature-length animations. He later wrote that Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs was an inevitable and necessary step forward in order to advance the studio. Short subjects, even successful ones like Three Little Pigs, still could not provide the studio with a significant profit. He was anxious for an opportunity to work in an expanded format that would allow for more elaborate character development and more complex plot ideas. Then one day in 1934, Walt Disney gathered his animators in the studio soundstage where he told them the story, acting out the scenes and characters himself. Although the animators were impressed with Walt's idea, they were skeptical that a full-length animated film could sustain the audience's attention. There were other naysayers in Hollywood, and even his wife tried to discourage him from the project. Disney even mortgaged his house to meet the initial $250,000 budget. The budget would later balloon to $1.5 million. The film's premiere was widely received, even by the skeptics. It received a standing ovation and even had some theater goers crying. It grossed more money than any other film up until that time and for a time afterward. For his achievement in the film, Walt Disney received a full-size Oscar statuette alongside seven miniature ones presented to him by Shirley Temple. The film was deemed a significant screen innovation which has charmed millions and pioneered a great new entertainment field. It was also nominated for Best Music Score with such memorable tunes such as Whistle While You Work, Hi Ho, and Someday My Prince Will Come. The overall success and impact of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs would pave the way in the immediate years that followed its release for films such as Pinocchio, Fantasia, Dumbo, 
Bambi, and of course many others. And the film is a big part of the immense Walt Disney legacy. Well, that just about wraps up this edition of This Week in Business History. Those were some of the stories that stood out to us. But what do you think? Find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and share your comments there. We're here to listen. Very special thanks to our recent guest host, Gary A. Smith, and to Deb Cooey, who has provided excellent research for the series. On that note, thanks to you, our listener, for tuning in to the show each week. We wish you the happiest of holiday seasons, Merry Christmas, and Happy New Year. Be sure to check out a wide variety of industry thought leadership at supplychainnow.com. And friendly reminder, you can, of course, find This Week in Business History wherever you get your podcast from. And be sure to tell us what you think. We'd love to earn your review. On behalf of the entire team here at This Week in Business History and Supply Chain Now, this is Scott Luton wishing all of our listeners nothing but the best. Hey, do good, give forward, and be the change that's needed. And on that note, we'll see you next time here on This Week in Business History. Thanks, everybody.